right now, though, we're going to have a discussion about the federal election. This is something that we've talked about on and off uh, since the election wrapped up last Monday. Um, winners and losers, right? And it, it depends. You can basically call all of them winners or losers when it comes to the political parties. Justin Trudeau won a minority government, but he lost because he didn't get the majority he wanted. Aaron O'Toole won because he held Trudeau to a minority, but he lost because he lost support here and he lost support there. The NDP, they lost because they didn't make any gains, but they won because they're still in the position of power. So, I mean, you can break it down a million different ways, but that's the political parties. What about the rest of us? You know, who are the real losers? following this election. For that, we're joined by Jason Clemens, who's an economist with the Fraser Institute. Jason, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. You know, when we talk about this, I mean, we, we often look at the political parties, but there's a lot of losers that we can identify in this campaign, um, at least the future taxpayer. Um, let's start right there. The spending in all the platforms right across the board, including the winning Liberal Party's platform, um, there's going to be a big bill come due someday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the disappointments, or as we as we phrased in the uh, in the piece uh, in the National Post, the, the losers uh, was the balance sheet of Canada. I mean, it just it, it didn't matter what party yep. won or the alignment of which minority a government we were going to have. It was clear that all the parties were committing to more spending. None of them were committing to pay for that by current taxpayers. So, in other words we're still in a mindset of we can have programs and more services and more income transfer programs today, but we don't have to pay for it. We're going to let the next generation worry about that. And, and so now we're in a position where uh, pre-election, there was a substantial increase in spending proposed in the, the uh, February, 2021 budget. The liberals proposed another 78 billion. Uh, the NDP have proposed another 214 billion and so not only are we going to get the uplift from the 2021 budget in terms of spending increases, we're going to get a whole pile more between the Liberal and NDP uh, and the negotiations that they'll obviously have to have to pass a budget. And again, almost none of that is going to be paid for with current taxes. And so it's, it's not only that we're spending more, it's that we're not paying for it. We're, we're asking the next generation who have no say in these decisions uh, we're asking them to shoulder the burden of the of the costs of spending today. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, the fact that all parties seem to be on board with this plan, right? There really was no differentiation between any of them in terms of we're going to spend, spend, spend right now. So the taxpayer didn't even really have much of a choice when it, if that was the overriding consideration. No, that's true. And, and I think what was particularly, I think, surprising is that there was no party, it really, including the, the Conservative Party, who jumped on the issue of fiscal responsibility and said, you know, we can't spend indefinitely um, without paying for yeah. it. And so this idea that because interest rates are low today, we can take on all kinds of permanent spending when we have an aging population that is going to increasingly put pressure on government finances is frankly irresponsible. And, and none of the parties jumped on that as uh, a unifying issue, which... Again, you know, I, I think given some of the poll numbers, you know, Canadians worried about the cost of living. And in fact, even debt was, was showing up in some poll numbers. I think that was a really a missed opportunity for some party to say, um, again, even if you, you take the spending off the table, simply for one party to say, look, whatever you're going to spend today, you should pay for today. Um, which, you know, you know, Canadians might forget, but that was part of Tom Mulcair's uh, vision for the NDP, that 
they were really going to go back to their prairie roots that said, yes, we want larger government, but we're going to pay for it with current taxes. Let's take a look at a couple of other areas here. You know, in terms of the Federation itself and the way that the country is, is supposed to operate, you also identified some concerns there in terms of Ottawa um, getting bigger and uh, more involved in what are traditionally provincial affairs. Yeah, th- that probably was one of the most frustrating parts of the election, at least for me. You know, we learned, we should have learned so many important lessons in the 1990s and 2000s about the benefits of Ottawa getting out of areas of provincial responsibility. And in this case, it was welfare. That in the 1990s, Ottawa recognized that they were making things worse. Mm-hmm. They, they provided much more autonomy and flexibility to the provinces to figure out how to do welfare in their own provinces. And the results across the country were overwhelmingly positive. Um, you fast forward two decades, and now we have every major political party saying, we are going to have housing policy, we're going to have child care policy, and we want to get more involved in health care, all of which are provincial responsibilities. And so the very idea of federalism, where we're trying to delineate roles and responsibilities best suited for the federal or national government, things for the provincial governments to handle, and then local governments, I think really took a hit in terms of the federal government trampling on areas of provincial responsibility. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible, because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, and uh, again, that was right across the board with all parties. And the other one, I mean, th- this is when we talk about health care, which is one that is always brought up. Every single election campaign we deal with health care and health care spending and health care funding right across the board, always an issue. And again, the usual response this time around was, we'll just spend more money. Yeah, I I think, or I guess optimistically, what I'm thinking is that, you know, everyone's experience with COVID has clouded our ability to have a discussion on healthcare. Because if you look pre-COVID, so 2019, it was very clear Canadians were open to talking about reform. Mm -hmm. And we had moved beyond the idea that we just don't spend enough and if we reform Canadian healthcare, it means we go to a U.S. system. I, unfortunately, I think COVID really caused us as a nation to backslide a bit. Mm-hmm. But this election certainly set us back in terms of just a, a, an incredible amount of misinformation that there's no data to show that we don't spend enough. In fact, if you look at the 28 industrialized countries with universal health care, we have the second highest level of spending. If you look at how we actually perform in terms of wait times, access to doctors, we're middle or bottom of that group of 28 countries. And so 
Unfortunately, as I say, between COVID and, and the experience, the terrible experience of so many Canadians and then the election, I really think the, the idea or the ability for Canadians to have a genuine discussion about health care reform based on universality uh, really took one or two steps backwards, uh, unfortunately. And that's, you know what, you make a good point in terms of the pandemic probably just put a, a highlight on a lot of the problems that have been there. For a long time, and it's not just about money because we do spend a tremendous amount of money. What do you, what's the discussion that you think we need to have? Well, I, I think there's really two discussions. One, which again we've we've briefly touched on, which is one of the solutions here is Ottawa has has to reform the Canada Health Act to allow the provinces to experiment and innovate within a universal model. Okay. So let's agree as a country that we want universality but then allow the provinces to better experiment and innovate within that. And then let's start having a genuine discussion about how the Germans approach universality, how the Swiss approach universality, how the French, and what might work in Atlantic Canada is probably not going to work in Ontario, because uh, they're two very different provinces, uh, probably not going to work in Alberta or British Columbia. Uh, and so different provinces should be permitted to take different approaches to how they're going to design and regulate a universal healthcare system. And one of the strengths of federalism, which, again, all the major political parties are ignoring, is that when you have different provinces approaching things differently, you have an opportunity to learn from one another. Right. You know, you learn that something worked in Ontario, so maybe that'll work in Quebec. Or Saskatchewan learned something, and now Manitoba is going to try it. But when Ottawa says it's a it's a one policy blanket for everyone, there's no opportunity uh, to learn and experiment. And so I, I think that's a real cost of, of this recent election is taking that step back, both on federalism and our ability to have a genuine conversation about these other countries that have universal health care that spend less or the same as us, but do so much better than us. And, and surely that's a goal that I would hope all Canadians would be would be interested in and, and indeed supportive of. Yeah, and we've talked about it for so long. I think most Canadians would have to be, right? We've talked so long about how much we spend on healthcare and we don't get the results that we expect. So you would think there would be some political ground to mine there if you're a political party. Absolutely. I think, again, though, as you said in the opening, I mean, part of what happened here is all of the parties basically agreed that we're going to try to outspend one another. Yeah, yeah. None of us are going to talk about balancing the budget in any reasonable time period, or we're not going to talk about debt accumulation or intergenerational equity. What we're going to talk about is a much more vigorous role for Ottawa based on more spending and regulating and getting into areas of provincial responsibility. And it seems to me there was a clear opportunity for at least one party to say, but there's a better way than just spending more and taxing more. Yeah, I agree. Um, Jason, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. That's Jason Clements, an economist with the Fraser Institute, talking about that. And, you know, the discussion, one of the things that we're taking away from the most recent federal election campaign, it was kind of hard when you're looking at the three main parties, right, the three that had a legitimate shot at forming government, that being the Liberals, the Conservatives, and the NDP, NDP to a lesser extent. There was a lot of commonality in what they were proposing, and it was all based around spending. So there wasn't, even the conservatives weren't talking about fiscal conservatism the way they usually are. Now, they did mention a plan to return to balanced budgets by 20, uh, in the next 10 years. Uh, That's pretty far down the road for a conservative party. In the meantime, a whole lot of spending. 
which matched the liberals, which matched the NDP. And now we're going to have liberals and NDP sort of working together if we can base the next parliament on the last parliament. Uh, and there'll be a price tag to that, no question.